0: 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse number 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and laid in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing, and he had no pity, no compassion. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. Well, 2 Samuel chapter 11, as we've been looking at the last... Uh, two Wednesday nights, records for us one of the darkest moments in David's life. He took what did not belong to him, another man's wife, who in the process became pregnant. He then made matters worse by proceeding to cover up his sin with Bathsheba, which eventually resulted in the murder of her own husband, Uriah. The whole thing reminds us, as we mentioned last Wednesday, that unrepentant sin will take us down paths we we never dreamed that we would go. What started as an innocent glimpse, a lustful thought on the rooftop of his house, not only continued into an adulterous affair, but ended in despicable murder. It certainly took David to a place that perhaps he never thought that he would go as God's chosen anointed king. So as we close chapter 11, David seems to have quietly covered his sin. You read it there in verse 26 and 27, Bathsheba becomes his wife and gives birth to his son that was conceived in the act of adultery. All seems to be over. David seems to have very cunningly dealt with this the way that he had desired to do. But yet, there's one little phrase at the end of verse 27, and that is, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord, Displeased displeased the Lord. And here's how we closed out chapter 11 last week, and it's the bridge to the events that we see here in chapter 12 that... Again, will take us tonight and next Wednesday to uncover it all. But, but how we close this out was the reminder that sin may have taken you down a road you never thought you would go, but there is a way back. There is a way back. Now before I give you the outline that I have for us tonight in these 15 verses, I want us to acknowledge first that there's... A space of time between 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven and 2 Samuel chapter 12. A space of time uh, that we would probably refer to as a period of silence from God. In fact, most scholars acknowledge that at the very least, 12 months have gone by uh, since the events of chapter 11. Some would even say up to two years have passed. Now, I want you to just think about that for a moment, because most of us, when we read this story, we think that perhaps the baby was born and then the baby died, but that's not what happened at all. The child that was born to David and Bathsheba was old enough for mom and dad to have learned his personality, to see his smile, to hear him laugh, and of course, other significant aspects of a newborn child. Not only that, but David perhaps, is to think is tempted to think that he is legitimately off the hook for his sinful crimes. after all, God hasn't said anything to him God hasn't done anything to him we We see what the narrator says in verse twenty seven that what what David had done displeased the lord, but but god's not done anything in return yet he's not he's not said anything during this period of time one year two years it's all it's all silence from god but that doesn't mean that all is truly well in david's soul and the psalms give us insight into this for instance Psalm 32 was a psalm that David wrote in reflection of his sin and his restoration, which we will get to the restoration next Wednesday. But in that psalm, he said in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, he talks about what was really going on in his mind and in his soul before he had confessed his sin. He said, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night. Your hand, God's hand, was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. As we noted last week, he had silenced others and had kept silent himself, but he could not silence his own conscience. Whether well, there was a year or two of God saying nothing and nothing occurring, David acknowledged the reality that inside he was wasting away. Now, why this period of silence on God's part? Why didn't he deal with David right away? Well, I don't, I don't know that we can be sure. But, but it's possible that this period of silence was God's desire for David to come clean and confess on his own. Which, which leads me to a second thought here before we dive into this. And that is God may have been silent for a little while, but he didn't stay silent forever. And that's what brings us to the first point tonight. Uh, Number one, notice David confronted. David confronted. Verse 1 of chapter 12, the Lord, then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Uh, Who was Nathan? Nathan was a prophet. He represented God before the people. We first see him back in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel during that scene when He and David were on the rooftop one afternoon, and David came up with this idea to build a house for the ark of God. The Bible seems to indicate that these two were pretty close friends, but Nathan was to be more than a friend to David. He was a prophet of God. And we need to understand those distinctions. A priest represented the people before God. A prophet represented God before the people. And in Jesus, Jesus is both prophet and priest he represents God he represents us but in this case Nathan is a prophet he is there not necessarily to represent David he is there to represent God which means that he came bearing the word of God to God's people this was his responsibility To go and speak the word of God to the people of God. To deliver the messages that God had given him to those whom God had chosen to receive it. And he was to deliver that word whether it was a good word from God or a difficult word from God. And that's how God's word is. Sometimes the prophets would bring a good word that fell upon the ears of the people. But sometimes it was a very difficult word that was hard to hear. Now, the titles may have changed, but the ministry of the Word of God is still the same today. And in a New Testament sense, it is the scope of my ministry as your pastor. My responsibility is not to bring my opinion, preference, and word to you. My responsibility is to bring God's word to you. Each and every week, every time we gather, I have one job, and that is to speak what God has said to you. And sometimes that word is going to be a good word for our weary souls. But yet sometimes it's going to be a difficult word For our wandering souls. I was reminded of Ezekiel 33 when thinking about this job of the prophet. Ezekiel 33, 7. He said, So you, son of man, speaking to the prophet of God, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and then warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. And you don't speak to warn the wicked from his way? That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity still. But at least you've delivered your own soul. Now, when I read that and I think about Nathan and I think about the job of a prophet, who would actually want that job? (laughs) God is saying, I am requiring My word to be held with utmost responsibility in your life that as a prophet of God, you are to go and you are to speak my word. Now, it's not up to you whether or not they obey it. But it is up to you to speak it, to say it, to preach it, whatever the case that God desired. But at the heart of this confrontation is who is behind it. And it's not Nathan. It's the Lord. This is important. You see, the Lord sent Nathan to David. This was not Nathan waking up one morning and thinking, you know what? I'm going to go confront David. No, no, no. It wasn't his job. This was to be something that the Word of God was to do in David's life, something that the Lord is to be responsible for. And I'm afraid some people thrive on confrontation. And if you thrive on confrontation, you might look at this verse of Scripture and you think to yourself, yep, there's my proof. I need to go tell somebody off tomorrow. I've been thinking about this for a while. Nathan did it. I need to do it. No, no, no. If that's your personality, I'm not so sure that you're the one that God's going to send anyway. Just to be quite frank. I know confrontation takes courage and boldness, but it also requires a sensitive, gracious, and humble heart. So this passage is not a proof text to suggest that as Christians, it is our responsibility to confront anyone and everyone whenever we see them doing something we do not approve of. i say it again. This is the theme verse of the Pharisaical police. You're going to go trick-or-treating? Well, I've got something I need to talk to you about. You're going to wear that? Well, you and I need to have a conversation. You're going to take your kids there? Don't you know what's there? No, no, no. This is not proof text text for pharisaical police. No, the Lord is responsible for this. The Lord had given the prophet Nathan a message from the Word of God, and it was the Word of God that was to confront David. That's what this confrontation is about. It is about God sending his servant with his word to confront an erring child who has clearly disobeyed his word and at the same time refused to repent. That's a problem. Now granted, sometimes that does mean that as brothers and sisters we do need to confront one another, but always within the scope of God's word, not our desire to simply set someone straight. So you are not a Nathan because you feel called to set people straight. No, you're a troublemaker if you feel called to set people straight. It is always to be done within the bounds of God's word. And if it cannot be done within the bounds of God's word and the Lord is not responsible for it, then it's best that you... And I'm preaching to myself, of course. So Nathan tells David a story in this confrontation, and it appears that David receives this as a real-life situation, and, and, and we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be surprised by that because these are the type of things that would be brought before a king to deal with, okay? So here's the story. The story is very skillfully laid out. Nathan says there's two men, one rich, one poor. The rich had many flocks at his disposal, but the poor had only one sheep, and boy did he love that sheep. He nourished it. He treated it like one of his children eating at his table. Just picture this in your mind as Nathan's telling this story. This sheep is eating at his table. He's drinking from his own cup. He's laying in his lap. This is how my wife treats our dog. Right. That's the imagery here. This is, this is like a child. If we're having spaghetti and meatballs, the sheep gets spaghetti and meatballs. If I'm drinking sweet tea, the sheep gets sweet tea. If I'm comfortable in my recliner with my blanket, then the sheep gets to be comfortable in my recliner with my blanket. I mean, he absolutely loved the only sheep that he had. But the rich man was responsible in this story for preparing a meal for a traveler, but he didn't want to use any of the many, many sheep that he had in his own flock. So he went and he stole. This poor man's sheep killed it and prepared it for the traveler. Now, there's a great deal of symbolism, by the way, in this skillful story that Nathan is telling to David. And I don't have time to dissect it for you. This is just something you're going to have to do on your own time. But the story is clear. The rich man had dealt selfishly and greedily with his neighbor's sheep, a sheep that did not belong to him. Now, this is why I believe David thinks that this was a real-life situation because immediately, look, verse 5, his anger is aroused. It says in verse 5 that David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives. I wonder how long it's been since David mentioned the Lord's name, by the way. As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no Now, a couple things. Number one, David's judicial decision here was unbalanced at best. That is, the punishment didn't fit the crime. What the man had done, according to the law, was not worthy of death. The law didn't require it. It only required fourfold restitution. If you go back, if a man stole it, it's a fourfold restitution. That was it. It didn't require death. So, so the king here, King David, who was known to rule with justice, is now acting out emotionally in an unjust manner. He wants to kill a man for taking another man's sheep. Punishment didn't fit the crime. Now, why? Why do you think he's gone to that extreme? I think, I think, I think Beg uh, just, just helps me clearly with this. And I just want to read it as he put it. Alistair said, we see our own sins more clearly in other people. That it's not unusual for us to be enraged by the sins of others while our own hearts are hardened and unrepented to our own sinful ways. That's good. In, in other words, it's easier to say, look at what you've done than it is to say, look at what I've done. So obviously David's troubled. He's, He's not where he should be. Something's going on in his soul because the judicial decision was unbalanced. Perhaps he is trying to bring a punishment of hard conviction on someone else in hopes that that might ease his own conscience for what he knows he's responsible for doing. But we also see that David's judicial decision was hypocritical because the rich man who had done this thing was not worthy of death. But David's crimes actually were. According to the law, he had killed a man. That means he needed to die. According to the law, he committed adultery. That means he needed to die. So, So hypocrisy. And to me, David's response signifies that at this moment when his anger is aroused to Nathan, in giving this response, it's almost as if his conscience was asleep. I got to thinking about that. Here, Nathan, the prophet of God with the word of God is speaking to David. And still at this point, it doesn't even dawn on him, at least as the narrator is giving it to us. It doesn't even dawn on us, dawn to David that he's talking about him. And I wrote this little statement down in my notes. It's possible for us to hear God's truth regarding our own condition. And fail to realize that this truth in God's Word is talking about me. That's very possible. It's possible for you to sit here tonight and hear God's truth about something that's going on in your life that you need to confess and repent of, and the whole time think that it is somebody else. That's because perhaps David, again, is conscience was asleep. It's it's a very dangerous place to get to the point where God's Word can be preached and taught and read, and yet we miss that it's about me. That's when Nathan had to say in verse 7, look at it. He said to David, no, you are the man. You're the rich man. You are that man. You see, this story was a mirror revealing David's own wickedness. And and I want to be clear, not only is David the man, but I'm the man. Jonathan is the man. You are the man. You are the woman. All, All of us, all of us are guilty of despising the commandment of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he's guilty of all. By the way, look at everything that David did in chapter 11. He nearly broke all of the Ten Commandments. All of them. On down the line, there's a message being sent here about our own sinful condition. Pastor, I've never committed adultery. Have you ever lusted after another woman? Then you're guilty. Isn't that what Jesus said? You have heard, Matthew chapter 5, that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. He, he goes on to say, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to the lust of her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I could keep going. Jesus kept going. But for now, let us just be understand that the implication of the text is that we are all guilty. David's guilty. I'm guilty. You are guilty. Under the law of God, we are the man. Now, let me summarize for you what David receives from Nathan regarding the consequences of his sin. In verses 7 8, God says to Nathan to tell David, look at all that I've given to you. I think sometimes this is where conviction begins. God has to show us just how gracious he has been, and yet we still despise him. I wasn't going to read it, but I want you to see it. Look at it there in verse 7, um, chapter 12. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man, thus says the Lord God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, David. I delivered you from the hand of Saul, David. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives for your keeping, David. I gave you the house of Israel, David. I gave you Judah, David. And if that had been too little, I would have given you more if you would have asked. Look at all I've given to you. But in verse 9, he says, you've despised the word of God. You've despised me. You've despised me, and at the heart of all of our sin is despising God's Word. We would never say that, but that is exactly what it is. We've despised God's Word. He says in verse 10, David, the sword of violence will never be removed from your home. And as we will see, that is the case. The violence that David initiated will be reaped in a whirlwind with his own children. And then you get to verse 11 and 12 and he even goes as far as to say that his wives will be taken by others. I fast forward because we're going to get there and it just so happens that some of his sons are the ones that are going to take his wives. David confronted. Write down number two quickly. David broken. David broken. Verse 13, David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. You see, the confrontation from God's word had led to a piercing convicting of his soul. His conscience awoke in verse 13. And here's what we have to appreciate. David didn't attempt to justify his sin. He didn't attempt to deny it or explain it away. Look at what he did. He acknowledged what he had done. He said, I have sinned. I've made a mistake. I overlooked something. No, no. I have sinned. He acknowledged what he had done. He acknowledged who was responsible. I have sinned. There's no word about Bathsheba here, her temptation or her attire, whatever you want to throw in to try to bring her into the situation. No, he takes responsibility for who is actually responsible, himself. I've sinned, it's my fault. And then he acknowledges whom he had truly defiled, against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. He is truly broken. He's truly repentant. Well, you say, well, I don't see much more that he's saying here. It's actually fascinating. I don't have time. Good night. My time's already up. I don't have any time to even say this. We're going to. It's only two words in the Hebrew. It's in the English, I have sinned against the Lord. Is several. It's only two in the Hebrew. There seems to be a pattern here in the story. You know. Bathsheba says, "I am pregnant." Two words. Nathan says to David, "You're the man." In the Hebrew, two words. Now David says, "I've sinned against the Lord." Two words. It's brief, but it's real. It's genuine. Now, sometime David later would expand on all that he was actually feeling. And, and I'm happy because in two weeks, Steve Funderburk is going to, to take this chapter and expound on it for us here in our Wednesday Bible study. It's Psalm 51. What did David... Further say that's not recorded for us in Second Samuel chapter 12. Let me read Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my... iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. I can't stop thinking about it. Against you, you only have I sinned. I've done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak, blameless when you judge. I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth inside. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. So purge me with his, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness again that the bulge you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. And when you do, I will teach sinners your ways. And sinners will be converted to you. Oh, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O oh God. He's confessing his mercy. The God of my salvation, my tongue, shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. No, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. David's broken. David's repentant. Now, here comes the gospel. Here comes the gospel and our final point. This is what John Woodhouse has called the scandal of the grace of God. That God's grace, God's gospel is scandalous. David's confronted, David is broken, but now in the final verses 13 through 15, we see David forgiven. David forgiven. Verse 13, Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin, you shall not die. Now, I love the quickness of this. Just as soon as David said, I have sinned against the Lord. Just as soon as the words were uttered out of his mouth. In genuine, sincere repentance and brokenness, Nathan says, and God has put away your sin. God has put away your sin. You're not going to die. That's what the law demands. But you're not going to die. Now, let's be honest. How is this possible? How is it possible? David is guilty of murder, guilty of adultery, guilty of greed, guilty of theft, and so on. He, he knew exactly what he was doing when he did it. And it wasn't harmless. People died. People died. And yet, in the eyes of the one whom it had despised, the Lord, he now tells Nathan to tell David, I've put away your sin." I've put away your sin. I've put away your sin. I don't That is, want to talk about it anymore. We're not going to talk about it anymore. I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. I've put it away. I'm not not going to bring it up anymore. No longer will your sin be held against you. No, David is not going to get what he deserves. What he deserves is death. But God has forgiven it. It's the sound of that beautiful song that Zephanie sang a few weeks ago, Forgiven, forgiven, through the blood of Christ we are forgiven. Friends, this is the gospel. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I was thinking about Hebrews chapter 4 as I was unfolding all of this, even in the latter hours of this morning. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, The Word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, we see that, don't we? Nathan the prophet is bringing the Word of God, and it has pierced the soul of David. And that's what Hebrews says. It pierces and divides the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. David's conscience was asleep, but when the Word of God came to him, his conscience awakened. And Hebrews 4.13 says, Hebrews 4.13 says, There is no creature hidden from God's sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. David was silent. David was quiet. David's covering up, but not from God. It's impossible. It's impossible to cover up who we are to God. It's impossible to cover up our sin before God. He knows all. He sees all. We are naked before God. Nothing is hid from the eyes of God. And in the very next verse, verse 14 of Hebrews 4, the writer says, Seeing then that, because the word of God tears our soul to pieces, because everything we are in our mind, in our heart, in our soul, in our lips, because all of it is known to God, where can we run? Where can we hide? Where can we go? Seeing then this, he says, I want you to know something. That you have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So confess him as Christ because we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help in time of need. This is the gospel. God's word has ripped us open. God's eye sees every part of us. We are condemned guilty. Where do we go? We go to the only one who can make it right. We run to Jesus. David is forgiven. You are forgiven. We are forgiven when we come with broken and repentant hearts to the loving arms of Jesus Christ. It's a foreshadowing of the gospel. Now, let me close with this. God's forgiveness does not always exempt us from all the consequences, however, unfortunately. The Lord doesn't reject David. He rejected Saul. And the reason why the Lord rejected Saul, because Saul never confessed. He always made excuses, didn't he? It's a different different story. God's not rejecting David. David's going to remain king. Because David is a child of God. He confessed his sin. He repented of his sin. He was broken. He was sincere before the Lord. He's God's child. But for the rest of his life, in some way or another, the consequences are going to be felt. And so it is with sin. Look at verse 14. However, Nathan says, just right after he tells him that his sins are forgiven, he says, Because of the deed that you have done has given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Of course, the implication there is God and Israel. The child also who is born to you will surely die. And then in verse 15, Nathan departs and goes home. Now, we're going to come to this next week. And it will be challenging to walk through, but we're going to walk through it together the best that we can. I do want to say a couple of things. One. Just because there is affliction in your life doesn't mean God is judging you with the consequences of sin. When we study the whole realm of the Bible, we know that to be true. Remember what the disciples said? Who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born this way? Jesus said, no, his parents did This is so that you would see the glory of God. Okay, So, so a stubborn child... The news of cancer or whatever may be a trial in your life tonight does not necessarily mean that God has afflicted you because you have sin in your life. It may. It may. But it doesn't always mean that. However, in David's case, in David's case, he's going to reap a whirlwind of pain because of his own doing. God had been gracious to forgive him and his sin will not do all the damage that it could have done had he not repented. But perhaps this, this, this little insight from Alec Matir will help us. L- listen to what the, the Irishman said. Repentance is like throwing a rock in a pond. You can get the rock back But you can't stop the ripples from spreading. Repentance is like throwing a rock in the pond. You can go back in and get the rock and bring it back where it's supposed to be. But there's going to be ripples as a result. And that's how we have to look at it. God has mercifully and graciously accepted David's repentance. He will not give David the punishment that he deserves. But God also will not choose or will choose not to stop the ripples from spreading. There are natural consequences that David is going to have to deal with the rest of his life and his own children, perhaps to humble him as we all need in our lives. As we all need. We need to be humbled. David needed to be humbled. He was beginning to think too high of himself for him to do what he did. And think for the span of maybe two years he had gotten by with it until Nathan shows up. It was time for David to fall back down on his knees in humility. And sometimes God needs to bring some things in our lives, some affliction, some consequences to cause us to fall down on our knees before the Lord in humility again. It's painful. But it's so necessary. To say as David said. I thank God for my affliction. For by my affliction I have learned your statutes. God is going to humble him. Perhaps sometimes these consequences are in our lives to prevent us from straying again. Because this is going to hurt their little boy. And so you're already thinking, how is this even fair? Well, we'll come to that next week. Let me say in closing, there is a way back. David has come back. And the way back is through confession and repentance. Psalm 32, let me read it. We'll pray. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David said, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long, for day and night his hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to God, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near you, but you are my hiding place, David said. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with the songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye, God says. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding. They're stubborn. They've got to be harnessed with the bit and bridle. Don't be like that, God says. Verse 10 of Psalm 32. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy will surround him. So be glad in the Lord and rejoice all you who are righteous shout for joy all of you whom God has made upright in heart. I have sinned against the Lord. Perhaps it's as simple as confessing that before God tonight. Finding yourself broken, repentant and then immediately discovering that God has graciously been waiting to give you His glorious grace. Let's stand together.